In the world of horror cinema, there are few modern-day directors that you could describe as visionaries. However, Miles Doliak, director of the recent underground hit The Dinner Party, certainly falls under that category. Daniel Edenfield and Jason Edwards had the privilege of sitting down with Miles to discuss the occult and religious symbolisms in his most recent film, his cinematic influences, and his current thoughts on the state of the film industry. Enjoy. Madness and magic. All right, Miles, I am Daniel, and this is, you can't see him, but trust me, he's here. Jason is also with us, and uh, we're with Monsters, Madness, and Magic. And yeah, we want to chat. I definitely want to chat about the movie. So, firstly, thank you for coming on and talking with us. My pleasure, sir. Yeah, man. I mean, this thing was cool. So, I mean, how, how's the uh, how's the reception been? Uh, it's been in large part, incredibly positive. And, uh, you know, it's humbling and heartening when you, you put in all that work. And, uh, you know, we have a team of folks that have just been so dedicated and focused and and creative and wonderful and, and put this whole thing together. And, um, you, you know, you never know. You spend a year, year and a half, sometimes longer on these things in which much of your life is consumed with the, the film, you know. <laughs> and uh, oh yeah and uh you you get so close to it that you don't really know how people are going to respond you know you you, you go through these various phases of this is really great and then this is really terrible and well this is okay <laughs> but uh, i'm not sure whether it's you know either great or terrible you know it's it's uh you just you just reach a point where you just have to step away and kick it out into the world and see what people think and and in large part uh the response has been really, really positive. So I can't complain. Good. I mean, it's, I, I hadn't even heard of it. I, uh, somehow or another, I caught wind of it. I forget how it was one. Of, it wasn't through, I'll get like, um, screener emails, but it, mm. this one wasn't one. It was through, I think it was through Justin. Actually, he was like, you want to try this one? And he sent me the link and I was like, Ooh, yeah, I do. For whatever <laughs> reason, the the artwork itself either it's your box art and that's and i'll say that was one thing at first the box art almost threw me off but then with it being called the dinner party and then i see it and it's like wait a minute it there's a whole lot of juxtaposition that i can make just looking at the cover art. and we'll get further into that but before we do that i kind of just want to know i mean how long have you been making how long have you been a filmmaker and stuff i was reading your resume and like the more i'm reading it the higher your plateau is getting 
Like, so, you, you know, you're, you're way over here. Like, you have 38 million PhDs, and then I'm back here being normal. So, I mean, what got you started with doing the filmmaking? Was it the usual story that we all seem to have <laughs> coming from around the 80s and the Gen Xers, that, that usual thing? Or, you know, what, what kind of got you started with making the movies? Well, I, I've, uh, I had long been an actor. And, um, yeah, I mean, from the time I was six or seven years old, um, I, I, I grew up in a small town in Mississippi doing community theater, ultimately doing high school theater and all that, all that jazz. Um, and moved to New went well, I should say, went to North Carolina School of the Arts, which is uh, an estimable arts conservatory in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. <laughs> um, with an eye toward, you know, maybe maybe going to New York, giving giving it a shot in, in, in sort of the Broadway sphere. But yeah. my heart was my heart was really with wanting to be in movies, and uh, so I spent a little time in New York. Moved out to L.A. You know, the closest I got to actually making any kind of dent in L.A. was uh, well, it was twofold. It was number one. Um, Working as a stand-in on Terminator Three. I don't know if you remember Terminator Three, but oh, it yes. was oh work. yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's somewhat forgettable, so it's okay if you don't. But, but the really cool thing is Claire Danes was in that movie, and uh, so I was a stand-in for um, the actor that played her fiance in that movie, and so I got to hang out with Claire a little bit. She was totally wonderful, and um but mostly i was working in food service and it, the the second part of the story is i i worked the governor's ball the academy awards the year that um uh, russell crowe had won best actor for gladiator i believe gladiator won best picture that year um and i had the good fortune to serve uh uh pizza to tom hanks table at the governor's ball because uh, <laughs> i at one of his sons wanted didn't want the standard wolfgang puck kind of uh, fair but you know tom was polite and wonderful as 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 he is wont to be but anyway that's the closest i i really got to making you know any having any kind of career uh so to speak in los angeles so um ultimately i uh i i was on the verge of giving it up i started taking classes in the history department at ucla and um Really, really enjoyed that work, working with a professor named Scott Barchi. I, I wound up getting a master's, ultimately uh, moving to New Orleans to get a Ph.D. at Tulane University. Yes. Yeah, and that. yeah. And then around that time, we had this production boom in South Louisiana. Um, this was immediately after Katrina, Hurricane Katrina. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Hollywood invested in Louisiana and lots of good things started to happen. And I sort of got you know, pull back into it. But, but mostly I was watching and admiring and sometimes working on these wonderful independent projects. And, um, and one of those projects was a film called Jake's road. I think it's called death hunt now that was uh, written and directed by my good buddy, Mike Mayhall, who plays Jeff and was the stunt coordinator on the dinner party. And, oh, okay. and, and Mike's work on that film and the, just the collegiality and camaraderie and what I saw, you know, in that film and experience, I was, I was actually a cast member, was really, really inspiring. And uh, I had the good fortune to work on several projects like that, these sort of up-by-the-bootstraps kind of indie, indie films. And I, and I just thought, you know, all these folks are doing it themselves. They're not waiting for somebody else to open the door. They're kicking the door down and, you know, they're doing it themselves. I love that. So, Yeah. And and at that time, I was getting this graduate degree 
and I was troubled by a lot of things I was seeing in higher education. So the old saw, you know, write what you know. I wrote a script uh, about the state of higher education, and uh, it was called The Historian, and we shot that film in, in 2013. We were fortunate to cast the amazing William Sadler in the lead in that film. Nice. And that film made enough noise to allow us to make another film and so on and so on. And here we are five films down the line and, and we're still doing it. So uh, I just, I consider myself very fortunate to be able to, to do this thing that feeds my soul. Very true. Now, I mean, are you all, I'm unfamiliar with your entire oeuvre, but uh, it appears that you, you have a hankering for horror. So, I mean, is that, have you always <laughs> been a horror nerd or is it just something that's been acquired or? Well, the first two weren't horror. Um, but then one of my, one of my favorite films is the exorcist. So on my, on my third film, I wanted to make an exorcism film or, or something akin to an exorcism film because it's not a, it's not a straight up exorcism type film. So, so I wrote a script called demons, um, which is, is inspired in a lot of respects, not only by the exorcist, but a lot of Southern Gothic works that I, that I admire. Uh, and that film did well enough to convince me that the horror genre was where I wanted to live for a little while. And so the next three were, were all in that vein. We did Demons and then Hallowed Ground and now The Dinner Party. Now, have you, uh, some of your stuff, like, do you, are you familiar with radio drama? It, the reason I say that there is a pace, there is a cadence to The Dinner Party that you do not see very often. And I, I have to say is really quite brave. Because to put a movie like The Dinner Party in front of a room full of millennials and expect them to pay attention, I just, I, <laughs> and I'm not one, well, I guess, I'm, I'm skirting the edge. <laughs> I was born in 1980. I'm part of what we would like to call the Nintendo generation. <laughs> but uh, it, there is a slow cadence and pacing to this film that gradually builds up. And it almost feels, the, and then the review that I wrote about it, 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 it reminded me of stuff like 12 Angry Men. Or yeah. um, oh, crap, or like Clue without the comedy and stuff. Yeah. There's you know there's a tension building. It's like Hitchcock said. They said you know how do you make something scary? He said well you have two people eating dinner. You know he said but if you really want to add tension to it, pan, take the camera down and show a ticking time bomb under the table. Right. And I was kind of waiting for that, and you brilliantly, I think, did it. At the very beginning, there were just these little flickers of it. But it, it, the way I, what I'm trying to get to is it seems very determined the way that you did that. I mean, what was the point of, like, what inspired you to do this? Was it just, you know, the fact that you intentionally wanted to make something this flow? Or, well, I, I think there's I, a question somewhere in there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Okay, so. I, I come from the theater, and um, some of my heroes in the theater, uh, folks like Tennessee Williams or, or Eugene O'Neill or Arthur Miller, August Wilson, um, what I love about these playwrights is they take their time, and they're not afraid to put a speech in the mouth of one of their characters that reveals who that character is, who what, what their history is, what their psychoses are and um you know i make no bones about it i make films that are first and foremost about character that are character driven that are for the patient filmmaker and many of the films and the playwrights and the novels that i admire 
they take their time. I, I want to sort of plumb the depths of the human psyche. I want to, you know, get in these people's heads and rattle around and figure out what motivates these people to do what they're doing, what, what, what it is that has impelled them to, to bring them to the point where we are in this particular narrative. That's and what that, made me think. I'm sorry to interrupt. I remember what I was trying to think. <laughs> okay. It feels like an audio drama. I, and the re- yeah. I, I write audio drama. I create audio drama with the, I have like, whenever you say you're an actor in theater and stuff, it's like, I mean, I'm, I'm even smaller time, but I can relate. I do that. Like I have a troupe of people and we do, you know, the horror audio dramas every year for Halloween. And that's what this movie actually feels like. So my question, was it inspired by like radio drama or do you even do you give a shit about radio drama at all? But just I mean, the way your dialogue works, it feels like that. I mean, I've certainly listened to some radio drama. You, you know, like uh, I, I, you know, I was a big fan of Orson Welles' War of the Worlds and you know, Prairie Home Companion and th- th- those sorts of things. But no, no, honestly, I'm not a I'm not a connoisseur of radio drama by any means. But I love the 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 pacing and the theatricality of it. Yeah. And and I think certainly I borrowed from that milieu to some degree or another. And and I'm I mean, I'm not alone. I mean, Tarantino borrows from that that kind of way of thinking these these the Greeks called it stichomuthia, little speeches. Yeah. Right. And so it, it, little speeches in the mouths of your character that reveal everything about their motivations and who they are and what they're what they're about and what they're what they're going for. And that's sort of the style of writing that I've embraced. And, and, and it's, you know, it's just based on my own preoccupations and the, the, the things that rev my creative engines. And I, you know, look, it's call it slow burn. I'll take it. But the thing about slow burn is um, if, when the fuse ignites, it all pays off, then you go back and you go, Oh man, it all makes sense. Now I get it now. It was all worth it. You know? And that's, that's really what I'm about and what I what I what I'm aiming for. Mm-hmm. I want that that really s- slow burning fuse to burn 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 and then when it goes boom the audience goes, "Okay, I get it now." Now it was and there is no this is this is spoiler free to let anybody know that. And I I will I do not spoil anything, but I will tell you there is a payoff to that. And <laughs> when you were talking what? about, you know, it's called having a dialogue or you know, with the pacing of the movie, Kevin Smith called it uh, being poor because he, <laughs> he did a lot of dialogue, to, and that was him and Tarantino. That just that made me that reminds me of it. And if you done if it's done right and done well, I mean that's the point of a movie is escapism, is suspension, right. and disbelief. You know, if you can sit there and watch it and compelled to enjoy it than I am. The fact that the little flourishes that you added in there, which I will be delving into that too. But uh, yeah, it just, I was just kind of curious about, you know, what would compel you to write a story like this. I mean, you do it at your own pace and, and that's good. I well, just hearing you talk about it. I, I, I don't know if either that. of you guys, if either of you, you guys watched uh, Mad Men right on AMC. Yeah, but m- yeah. one of the things I admired about Mad Men, and this was the John Hamm, the Matthew Weiner show. Um, I mean, sometimes Mad Men would take three, four, five episodes, right, to set up some big reveal or some big moment. And you know, there were there was an episode or so where you'd be like, "Oh man, this is this is really slow. This is plotting. It's methodical." What? But then when the payoff would happen, you would be like, "Oh man, I wouldn't change a thing." That was perfect. That was, 
and 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 so that style is just something that really really appeals to me and 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 maybe it's in some respects it's just that we we live in such a fast food instant gratification kind of society that i'm like yeah. you know screw that i'm not going to cater to that I, you know i want people to to take a breath and have to you know immerse themselves in a movie which is as as you point out that's what it's all about it's about escaping it's about being transported it's about letting yourself go right and and falling into this world and into this narrative and into these characters right um I mean, I am not, I am really not interested in making an 80 or 90 minute movie. And most of, and frankly, most of the 80 and 90 minute movies I see, I'm totally unsatisfied with because I don't know the characters. Yeah. And for me, that, that, that just doesn't work. Now, speaking of Kevin Smith, you got old TS on there. So, uh, what'd you have? Uh, I say TS, Jeremy London. <laughs> I'm a, Mall Rats, <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Mall Rats yeah. was the anthem of my teenage years. And so, uh, just seeing Jeremy Lennon, I saw that, you know, <laughs> you go like, Hey, it's TS. That's cool. So, I mean, what'd you have to finagle to get him? Or is he just, cause I've seen him in a bunch of stuff I've been watching lately. Yeah. Well, Jer- Jeremy and I have become friends and, um, you know, he's just a really cool, generous guy and he's very much interested in supporting independent films and independent filmmakers. And, um, you know, when I said, hey, I've got this, it's a small role, cameo kind of role, come out for a day, let's shoot this thing, you'll have some fun, you get, to, you know, you get to play the creepy guy, um, he was absolutely game, he was like, I'm there, man, and, um, yeah, I, I hope to, con- you know, to be working with Jeremy more often, because uh, he and I have really hit it off, and, um, I, I'm, I'm, you know, he has quite a following, Jeremy, yeah. Um, I mean, you're not alone in that Mall Rats was the anthem of your youth. I think Mall Rats was the anthem of my wife's youth, who was uh, uh, Lindsay Williams, who played Sadie and 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 designed the costumes on our film. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I hope to do a lot more work with Jeremy. He's a he's he's a really cool dude. Now the uh, all right, let's tread carefully here. I had to because I even had to be careful whenever I was posting the review and using pictures and. Uh, this is no spoiler because this actually happens within the first 60 seconds of your crawl, if I remember correctly. <laughs> but the camera is tracking and we see a statue and a goat skull. Yes. Was was this deliberate? Like the particular statue that you use and the particular, because it's not an actual goat skull, but they're for aficionados of the occult. Yeah. It's immediately going to spark interest. It did me like immediately because then I'm immediately taken back. I'm thinking Agatha Christie, but oh, no way. Hell yeah. I'm invested. See, you. That's why I'm saying some things I'm an easy mark because like when I saw that, I'm, I'm hooked. I want to see this. Because, and, but then again, there's kind of a high price because I was like, this better have a tie-in with that or I'm going to be pissed. But was that intentional? Yes. Well, the, 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 the art direction, the production design by, by Julie Tosh, our production designer, and, and the choices of the various bits of the macabre and the occult and arcana uh, are very carefully chosen in this film. And, and, and I had, it, I don't know, and, and I'm, I'm, I always welcome a careful viewer a careful critic like yourself, because I'm no critic. The, the, well, <laughs> I'm a nice I, guy. Believe me. Well, well, uh, <laughs> someone who reviews movies, but who also watches the movie carefully for those types of things and clues and whatnot. Um, because there are, there are clues throughout the film yeah. about, 
about the identity of some of our characters and what where we're ultimately headed. Um, and yet we still get the we still got the occasional you know about the reveal at the end. Well, it seems to come out of nowhere. And and I I mean my initial response was then you weren't paying attention. Oh, I did. So I, I didn't see it, but it didn't come out of nowhere. I thought it well, was well. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, I, you know, ideally with a with a twist ending like that, I mean, it, it should. The hope is you catch the viewer off guard, you catch the audience off guard, but then when the audience member thinks back or revisits the film, then he or she goes, "Oh, of course." I mean, you know, like when you watch The Sixth Sense the second time or Fight Club the second time, right? It's it it, it suddenly feels painfully obvious. Right, oh it's like oh, there were, was the whole time, yeah. Yeah, right. But um, but the best twists are those that do catch you off guard on the first viewing, but then when you spend some time ruminating on the film and kind of thinking back on it, and then of course if you watch it again, which we hope everyone will, uh, it, you go, oh yeah, of course that's that's what was going on. Now the, uh, so yes, yeah, so so long story short, yes, the goat skull. The images of the Minoan snake goddess and all those 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 little inserts of the various occult knickknacks statuary, very carefully chosen. <laughs> See, that's the stuff I like to hear. That right, that there, it makes me appreciate the film even more. It's just the, because it felt intentional. Like because you spend a, their characters spend an awful lot of time discussing opera, and right. and that was another thing that made me wonder. It, with you saying you came from theater, I mean, I could have guessed that just by watching that scene with them discussing all the various opera and stuff. But that was another thing that made me wonder about, like, if you had an audio drama background or stuff, because your story is propelled via dialogue. And that's really about it, except for right. subtle character flourishes. And right. then it just, you know, slowly building up the tension. And but then even it, little interjections of humor and stuff. I mean, the actors on here were hilarious <laughs> at times. There was one, and it's very rare. I actually got a laugh out loud moment. But Sebastian, dude, that there's a part where they're they're in a hallway, and then there's a misfire. Yeah, and it, that was like that was actually genuinely funny. That that made me, and it wasn't supposed to like. For anybody listening, it wasn't hammed up or anything. It was just genuinely funny when it happened. <laughs> I laughed because if that would have happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were very fortunate with this cast, and uh, Sawandi Wilson, who played Sebastian, was just absolutely terrific. As you know, Sebastian is sort of our our low key character. He's sort of our god of mischief. You know, he's uh, he's so mercurial and all over the place, and he's this kind of petulant child who who is hell-bent on having his way, you know, whatever may come. And, um, and the, the, the whole cast, this, this, this is a relatively small cast, so there's seven people sit, sitting around that table. Uh, and there was such a, an intimacy in that group and an esprit de corps in that group. And, you know, we, we, all, we all liked each other. We spent a lot of time together. We hung out outside of shooting and I think that shows in the final product. And now I could tell that I, I could tell that you generally that you knew each other, and that it generally it looked like it was easy to work with each other on the film. It, they're just y'all seem to feed off of each other's dialogue really well. And it, where speaking of that house, man, did y'all film that in Mississippi? Right? We did in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. So the house belonged to uh, does still belongs actually to Doctor Mrs. 
Carr McLean. Uh, and Carr McLean is a uh, renowned cardiothoracic surgeon in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And one of the, one of the big issues that I had with this film going in is when the hell are we going to shoot this? <laughs> where, where are we going to find some rich people who are going to let us go in their mansion and, you know, beat each other up and throw blood everywhere and trash the place? Well, my good friend, Mindy Bennett, who sort of served as our location manager on this, found this mansion uh, belonging to Dr. and Mrs. McLean, and we just made a cold call, and we, we went over and we talked to them about what we wanted to do, and we were able to work something out, and they were fantastic. They were our champions. They literally moved out of the house for the three weeks that we shot this film. Dang, three and weeks. Yeah, and they, uh, they, yeah, fifteen days. This was this is a relatively short shoot, fifteen days. Yeah, and um, you know they would all they asked was, can we can we just kind of come in and sneak around every once in a while and see what you guys are doing? Maybe stand by the monitor here and there. And we were like, of course. And uh, they were really, really great. And the truth of the matter is, this without that location being absolutely spot on, exquisite, the film would not have worked. I absolutely agree. You, so there, that yeah. almost was a character in and of itself. Yeah, no question about it. So they, uh, so we are exceedingly grateful to them. I mean that 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 house just worked famously, and um, and the fact is there there aren't a lot of houses like that in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. So uh, uh, we got very lucky. That's why is, I was curious. You know, <laughs> indie films that succeed often you know, get pretty lucky. Yeah, for real. Uh, oh, and for any of the snobs out there that when he's talking about the blood and stuff, it's practical. So we go ahead That's and get correct. that out of the way. Yeah. That, I don't, I don't get on that issue. If it looks cool, I watch the movie. I really don't care, but you know, you always have some of those like, well, the CGI blood. but uh, no, this was all practical. It looked good. <laughs> At least let me put it that way. It looks so good that i feel like the whole thing was practical so that's if there was any of it done in their post or any kind of comp work then bravo because i couldn't tell at all and so that's how you know if you have anybody doing that they are a true professional <laughs> well i i will say I, I you know i have to say i have to shout out to our vfx artists because they they are true professionals wesley O'Mary and dj shea and there is some sweetening that happens um oh. there is there there is one pretty significant cgi effect that occurs in the film uh, without spoiling anything but but all of the blood rigs and all that that was done on the day there is there was always blood on the day right there, no blood gag has been created from whole cloth digitally after the fact so a little bit of sweetening here and there but no i was very very keen to use practical blood on, on the day because it just i mean the fact of the matter is it just it just looks better it just looks yeah. better and, and I mean, it does you know, properly. It does, yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, regardless of of how brilliant your your VFX artists are, so my my general rule with blood is start practical, and then if it's not enough or you feel like the color is not quite what you want or whatever, you know, then sweeten it in post. But start practical so you have this baseline that that, that looks you know legit and like that. This actually came out of that person's neck. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Some of those. Yeah. That it, <clears throat> again, trying to. I'm avoiding any kind of spoiler whatsoever. I, let's see. I let's know, see you I dance around it. this. Um, <laughs> the story. Who wrote that? Where did that come from? Let's. And if you can give like a sport. If not, 
then give me a rain check and whenever this thing gets out of you know your maybe like next year or something we get back to it one day but you know without us with a spoiler free kind of thing if possible where did this idea come from it does this okay, something like this doesn't come out of whole cloth trust me i've been i have been dancing around these very issues that you have wrote, written in this film was another reason why i love this thing is because it feels like we would hit it off famously over dinner just talking about the same sh- because it's the same shit it's just it's crazy yeah. this idea now and what's really cool is that i haven't thought of this idea but it's so parallel <laughs> with the way I think and the way I write my <laughs> stories and stuff is that, yeah, so where did this one come from? So this, so I had a co-writer on this, Michael Donovan Horn, one of our lead producers on the film, Jim Boolean, who had been an associate producer on our last film, Hallowed Ground, uh, was really keen on this script. He sent me this script, and I mean, my, my it's no secret, my partner in life and Art is uh, is Lindsay Ann Williams, and we always, you know, we we always work together on these films, and and so we looked at the script over, and we thought it had a lot of good elements, and and probably the most interesting element about it was um, this idea that a lot of folks that that are considered bad people or maybe abusive people have in fact suffered trauma in their past that they have been victimized themselves. And I was reading a lot about psychoanalysis in film and this idea of the human id unleashed and and all all these characters for whom this is the case, you know, like Joker and, you know, whatever. And and, uh, so I so I thought, hmm, this is this is perhaps an interesting uh, narrative road to go down. So it had this rogues gallery thing and and that that psychoanalytical element that I thought was really attractive. Um, But I thought the script needed some narrative cohesion I, I i there was just something missing for me so i asked michael i said you know let's make this script production worthy together let me come on let me be a co-writer let's give this thing it's it just desserts you know and mm-hmm. michael to Pardon his credit point. was totally yeah right <laughs> was totally cool with that ultimately we wound up creating the character of sadie who who really became that narrative through line it really became that that cohesive element that flame uh that that i I felt that the script needed that around everything was around which everything was kind of revolving and and um and everything kind of opened up from there i mean sometimes in the creative process it's like you're banging your head and you're banging your head and there's just like ah what's missing what's missing what's missing and it's and and (laughs) you 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 flip a switch and and it, it opens everything up and that was Sadie for us. Say, I mean, without I mean, it's hard. To, this is very hard to dance around at this point. Right, Sadie, <laughs> I know. When, when you <laughs> when you see the movie, you'll understand why. I mean, it just it everything sort of all the dominoes fell into place, and you know, Mike and I were like, oh, okay, yeah, this is where we want to be. Um, and, and look, I am a student of, I'm going to try very hard to not spoil anything, but I'm a student of ancient religion, um, especially the Judeo-Christian tradition. So anytime I get to play in that sandbox creatively, I get really excited. Amen. And, that, that's, uh, again, pardon that pun, but yeah, yeah that's, that's right. me too. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm loving this. And that, yeah, actually, stop right there. That's enough. I don't want to do it anymore. Okay, just, great. That's good. Okay. Yeah, we'll leave it at that because by now, people, if I'm on this, so hopefully, like, it's not just the 
normal friends who hang around me because by this point they're so tired of my shit that they know <laughs> they was like oh the dinner well, i know what this is about yeah but no i'm serious let's see if i can cast some the uh, see if i could do i don't even have my trailer music i'm gonna have to go and throw some in the background real quick but you know uh how many people are in the dinner in the movie so can, can you remember so how many people, people are at the table? seven people at the table all right there you go so you've got seven people seven motives seven lives seven deaths there you go and then we can add like some spooky stuff in the background so, trust me people if you if you've played the game the council if you've listened to my other podcast the bottom rack where i talk about the that game the council you're going to want to watch it because that's immediately whenever i look at this it feels like a modern version of the council and then i and there's another one i'm like totally drawing a blank on I can't remember if it's, and that's what's really stupid. I mean, is I can't remember if it's a game or a movie, but there's another big inspiration that I felt like whenever I looked at the lights, like, yeah, that was it. But then, of course, there is an homage to a certain other really popular film uh, from the, well, I can't even say it. I don't want to see it. Yeah. So there's a, for, let's just put it this way for gore hounds and um, people who might like the Ed Gein style of storytelling and uh <laughs> there's something in here there's something in here for the whole family it uh yeah opera lovers and you know <laughs> mythology mythologians that well you brought people. up and you brought up clue right I, which yeah i mean there's absolutely. some of that in there too right i mean if that's if that's your your ball of wax i mean that you know you you got that kind of thing too so that's uh, that's really the trick is to to appeal to as wide an audience as possible while not sacrificing your your narrative uh, agenda right your 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 creative vision and that's that's really hard because of course you cannot possibly appeal to everybody some people no, are going to and don't try hate, hate what you do right so you have to make some hard decisions and say okay this is this is where we're going and some people are going to hate it but that's okay because the the people we want are going to love it and um, I mean, that's kind of the vibe I'm getting with Dinner Party. You know, the people we that we targeted that we felt this this segment of the populace is really going to get this movie and they're really going to embrace this movie. And it, it seems like that's what's happening. I mean, yes, yeah. this I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jason. Oh, no, I was just uh, had a question in regards to the themes of the movie. Um, it seemed to like you say you focus on your characters and dialogue, which is great because um, it just seems to me recently like. The Dinner Party is a movie, to me personally, where it seems like there are a lot of themes regarding the elite co-opting other people into their movement and sort of making them part of the machine, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I really appreciated that those themes were there, but they weren't very overt. You really let the characters lead and the dialogue lead instead of beating the audience over the head with the metaphors and such you know right well uh, you know i think that we live in an era right now and i don't want to get political really but the fact of the matter is current events covid the murder of george george floyd uh have really exposed to a greater extent than at least in my living memory this divide in our country between the haves and the have-nots and uh uh, of course, we're we're writing and making the dinner party before any of this, and um, this situation is further out into the bright light of day now. 
than it was then. Uh, and, and it needs to be addressed and we need to do a lot better. But what, what, you know, it's very important to me to make movies, to make art that is, that has some social responsibility to it and some social relevance to it. Um, I believe in art as escapism, as we, we discussed earlier on, but I also believe that art films, uh, music ha- has the ability to make people think and make people reevaluate preconceptions and, and a lot of things. And so all of my movies to one degree or another have that undercurrent. But the thing is you don't in a movie, you don't want to preach at people You're because right. they'll turn, they'll turn off. Right. They'll be like, oh, this is a message movie. Uh, I'm, I'm out. That's it. So, Watch me turn a movie right, <laughs> right the fuck off right, as fast as right. possible. You even <laughs> let me catch a whiff that you're right. trying to post, push some sort of agenda or anything like <laughs> yeah. that. Click bye. Right. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and you're not alone. I mean, that, you, so, so the idea is you want to take people on this ride. You know, it's, it's as if somebody's at an amusement park and they're going to ride a roller coaster. And in, the, in, in riding the roller coaster, you know, you, you throw a couple of ideas at them or shoot, shoot a couple of thoughts in their ears. And then on the other side of the roller coaster, they, they go, hmm, that was an interesting ride. Kind of made me think about my opinion on X or whatever, you know. But if it ain't a roller coaster, it ain't going to happen. They're not going to listen right. any. So if you, you make them think you, about so, it later, then yeah. Right, they need to be thinking about it later, right? What you want is is for them just to be immersed in the ride and enjoy the ride and get lost in the ride. And then hopefully on the other side of the ride, they go, oh, that was in that movie. Oh, that was in that movie. Oh, huh. Let me think about that. Or let me go read up on that. Or, you know, what, whatever it might be. But so, I mean, Jason, you're right. There are ideas there are ideas and and things that i've reflected on and things that have been rattling around in my head that are that are in this movie but i'm not i'm not here to preach at people i'm not a preacher i'm a i'm an entertainer and i recognize that and so my hope is that i can entertain while in some small way maybe making the world a little bit brighter and better because people watch my movies and go hmm that was entertaining and thought-provoking. Yeah, you, so that's, you definitely... That's, that's kind of where I am. You definitely don't have to preach your movies speak for themselves, so well, definitely. thank you for that. I appreciate that. No yeah, problem. there wasn't anything predictable, that's for sure, because that was another thing that kind of turned me on with it. It was like, oh, I like this, is that, again... There were things that at first was kind of predictable, but the longer it kept going, it's like, well, none of this is really making sense. Or none of this is doing what I had expected it to do. And I really appreciate that (laughs) because I love, I mean, I love the snobby horror in a sense. Yeah. But I also like for things to, if it's not action packed, it needs to be intriguing. And if it's neither one of those, I'm going to turn it the F off. Like it just, (laughs) it is what it is. It just, well, I don't have time for it. It it just, (laughs) maybe, you know, maybe it's a personal character quirk and a character flaw. I'm sure it is. But regardless, yeah, I ain't got time for this, man. I got things to do. We got to get moving. Let's do this. You know? Yeah. Daniel, my favorite horror movies though. I, I mentioned the exorcist earlier. But those great horror movies from the 1970s, like The Exorcist, The Omen, Rosemary's Baby, The Sentinel, I mean, these movies take their time. I mean, I, I recently revisited The Exorcist, and, and I, I was amazed at 
how much time it takes with character development before anybody's, you know, vomiting pea soup or anything like that. I mean, it it takes its time. I mean, developing, you know, Father Karras and, and his relationship with his mother and uh, so that when, when you get that payoff, it's all the more rewarding. And, it, you know, The Omen is the same way, Rosemary's Baby, and, you know, we, we can go on and on. Right. Um, so I really, I really became a, a student of those types of films. The other thing, of course, that those films do, I, I think, so brilliantly is, is dealing with the occult, and, and especially the occult as related to Judeo-Christian tradition and, and Satanism and all these kinds of things and, and revelation and all, the, all these kinds of wonderful ideas and ideologies that they throw at you in a very intelligent, calculated, meticulous way. So I much prefer that than to, to like your standard slasher horror right. movie. Oh, me too. Absolutely. I, I, I know this might be a sin. <laughs> How about that one for a nice little wordplay? But no, seriously, it's like I would prefer give me a movie like The Ninth Gate over uh-huh. Friday the over Friday the Thirteenth Part Twenty Seven any day of the right. week. I just I've right. never I slashers are fun. Don't get me wrong. I I think my favorite Friday the Thirteenth is the one with the psychic chick. So I have no clue. I don't even know what the damn number is of it. It's the <laughs> zombie Jason, which is the way I prefer. Dead Jason is best Jason. But okay. I know the one with the psychic chick. But the Ninth Gate, I could probably recite that thing to you. Just, you know, yeah, word for word, a, verbatim. It just, I, when they do it right and they do yeah. it well, I love it. That's a, that's a compelling film, you know, and, and you've got Frank Langella in that film and Johnny Depp. And I mean, it's, I mean, that's, yeah, that's a compelling film. But is, again, you a, know, the little subtleties, you know, cause they yeah, throw it, right. it's a dude that hangs himself at the very beginning. And in the next sequence, you see Johnny Depp, he's lighting a cigarette, giving them a, a pitch bid to buy a book collection. Skeletor invites him over to his private library. And so Skeletor (laughs) brings him in and they start talking about the book, you know, um, the day of rare rainy Novum Portis. Uh I forget what they call it in the movie, but it's the same concept now. And whenever, as soon as he says that book, when he says the title, I was like, wait a minute, that sounds like that book. And it's like, Oh, the ninth, the nine gates. And I was like, no. And then when he shows the cover of the book and you see the pinnacle, I'm hooked. I don't care what the, like, I hope the rest of the movie's good because I'm staying for it. <laughs> and that's right. kind of, like I said, these little flourishes you threw in this one, it's the same way. The camera tracks right at the beginning, just a, a God, a painfully slow track. But you see through that shot, you know, you see the goat, and then you see that other little statue that I won't say what it is, mm-hmm. but for aficionados of this, you've already heard these key terms. And keyword at this it, seriously at this point, people, do I need to explain it? Sorry, I'm talking them behind me. It, at any point, do I need to explain <laughs> further. I mean, you're gonna there's gonna be something in here for you to enjoy. But you when you talk about pacing, that's what I wrote in the review. Is that honestly, you're being served a meal, and right. the yeah, the way you do this is you're gonna bring everybody what they're gonna eat. <laughs> they don't get the yeah. order. You'll get right. <laughs> you'll tell them what they're gonna eat. You're gonna tell them when they're gonna eat it. Also. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, can, I have to admire that. It takes chutzpah, that's for sure. Well, you know, you go, you go big or you go home. And, 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 that's and, it. Uh, one of the filmmakers I've talked a lot about on this sort of interview press circuit for the dinner party is Darren Aronofsky. Really? And, and you, well, here in this regard, Darren Aronofsky goes for it every time. That he does. And, I'll give you that. And, and sometimes 
It doesn't work. Sometimes you're like, what is he doing? But that doesn't stop him from going for it. I mean, I don't, I mean, if I never saw Requiem for a Dream again, I would be okay. But damn, that's a ballsy film. Damn, I mean, you know, like, holy, The Fountain. Mm-hmm. What's, what's he doing? I mean, and, and I mean, Mother, of course, was whether you consider it the most brilliant thing you've ever seen or the most epic failure you've ever seen, you cannot deny the man is swinging for the fences. He is like, this is what we're doing. I don't care if we fall flat on our face and, you know, smash our noses into the pavement. We are doing this. And, um, I, you know, I, I'm kind of from that school of filmmaking. It, I have and, nothing but respect for that. I mean, yeah. you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. That's, that's correct. what I tell everybody. Y'all listening back there, too, just to let you know, the movie that you make tomorrow is better than the movie that you do not make tomorrow. Now, <laughs> I, right. I'm saying that mainly for myself because I have yet to make an effing film. But as far as the audio drama and music albums, everything, I don't care. Just do it. Just go and do it. Who cares? Anyway, please, right. I, pardon that interruption. But <laughs> no, I mean, you're, one, you're 100% correct. I mean, a lot of people... It's very easy to talk about and criticize art, films, music, audio dramas, poems, whatever. Oh, God, it's insufferable, I know, isn't it? It's very easy, but it is very, very hard to actually make a film or write a novel or create an audio drama. This is very, very hard, and you're putting yourself in an incredibly vulnerable place where you're just stripping it all bare and saying, Here's my soul, here's my mind, here's my, here's my thought process, whatever, and you're throwing mm-hmm. it out there into the world, and people are going to take a crap on it. A lot of people <laughs> are. <laughs> t- I was just going to say, somebody's going to walk up, <laughs> take a big dump right on it, and show <laughs> everybody else. It's like, right. hey, it does, look yeah. at the dump I took. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is the worst movie I've ever ever seen oh god I mean, that's I can't insufferable tell, no, i can't tell right. you how many reviews I, of all my movies this is the worst movie i've ever seen it's amazing like, you can make the worst movie like four right. or five times in a row i mean I, that's <laughs> what, that's one hell of an accomplishment i must say you I, know what i mean you know i consider it a badge of honor i, re- that's I it. really don't, do man I mean, don't I'm like read that <laughs> i'm like look if look if i truly made the worst movie you've ever seen the worst movie on the planet, the worst movie any human being has ever conceived and devised. I have accomplished something, and I will wear that like a badge of honor. I'm for real. You should. I did want to ask. <laughs> so this is a. So I mean, you're. This is an indie film, and so you are distributed through Uncorked. Now, right. This is a name that has been flying up in my radar for quite a while, and as with any. Any company, when they first start out, generally their first offerings are meager at best. So this is a few, and the dude, Lionsgate, oh Lord, they were the worst. There was a couple years there, it just got to where I couldn't even rent a Lionsgate film because I was afraid of what it was going to be because it was probably not going to be interesting. (laughs) And uncourt, and there are a couple, and I will... I, this is that is a casual criticism. Anybody that knows me understands me. Is I'm saying this out of absolute admiration. Because trust me, that was I get the bad out of the way first because Uncourt has been popping up a lot lately. And the more I'm watching, the more I'm really starting to appreciate. It seems like Uncourt is really getting in their stride. So much so, in fact, that whenever I'm searching for uh, a new film to watch for my podcast, 
Uncourt is taking up a majority of the space at Walmart. And uh, well, it, it's so. I mean, what was it like working with them? Well, let me let me. Uh, here's what I have to say about Keith Leopard and his partner Mike Rapshin and Uncorked. They believe in independent filmmakers. They believe oh, yeah. in independent voices. They believe in allowing those independent filmmakers and those independent voices to have their day and their say. And um, I mean, uh, Uncorked has been distributing our movies since my second film, The Hollow. And one up. thing that that I was, yeah, it's it's um, well, it's. Got an, a, a really an amazing cast. William Sadler, William Forsyth, James Callas from Battlestar Galactica, Christian Seidel from Boardwalk Empire and Godless, uh, Jeff Fahey's in it, um, Dave Warshawski is in it. Yeah, it's a really, the cast is really incredible in that film. It's not horror, it's sort of southern gothic murder, thriller, but uh, but ble- yeah, do check it out. But but anyway, the point is, what when The Hollow, my second film, first signed on with Uncourt. One of the things that I was really, I don't know, heartened by with Keith and Uncourt was he wanted my opinion of the poster art. He wanted my opinion of the DVD splash page. He wanted my opinion of the synopsis. He wanted my opinion of all these other things, you know. And I had heard horror stories about people who had signed with Lionsgate or Magnolia or whatever mm-hmm. who, who said, well, they just took my movie and then I was out. I had nothing more to say. They, they were just like, we're, we got this. And I, I didn't have anything to say about the art or the marketing campaign or anything whatsoever. Uh, Keith is not like that. I mean, Keith will not sign off on the, the DVD cover until I do. He sends it to me. Miles, what do you think of this? Do you like this pull quote? Do you want a different pull quote? Whatever. Uh, that is a testament to the fact that Keith believes in the filmmaker. And the and don't get me wrong, the filmmaker is not always right, but the filmmaker knows the 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 movie's vision better than the distributor. He's given the filmmaker has been given agency to live or die, to to make yeah. it or fake it or fail to pass or whatever. That's I I see what you're saying. Uh, that's cool. Keith and I had one big disagreement about art, and it had to do with the um the the some of the poster art for our third film demons which is the exorcism movie mm-hmm. and you know if you haven't seen demons at this point sorry this is maybe a slight spoiler but it's not a not really a big spoiler. so keith was saying well you know what we're having trouble getting in red box for this movie but if we put a monster on the cover red box will buy it uh-uh. my said, radar is going said, up yeah i'm like but keith there's no monster in the movie <laughs> it's, he's like it it doesn't matter just put a monster let's just put a monster on the cover <laughs> Yes, and it you does call matter. It, you can call it whatever you want. You can say, you know, it's it's you know, it's her, you know, it's just her the manifestation of her deep deepest thoughts or whatever. And I'm like, I I think this is a terrible idea because people are gonna go on Amazon and wherever and they're gonna say Miles Doleak is an asshole for false <laughs> advertising because there's no monster in this movie. And and but he was like, I I Miles, we, we gotta do this. And I'm like, okay, Keith, whatever, just do it. But guess what? We got a red box deal because he put a freaking monster on that poster. Yeah. And, and yes, people are on Amazon, you know, user reviews saying, screw you, Miles, there's no monster in this movie. But cha-ching because we got in red box because there was a monster on the, the DVD cover. So, I mean, you know, sometimes it, it is, it is, he, I guess what I'm saying about Keith is like he has a pretty good sense of like, okay, here's the business. Here's the creative. Let's find the sweet spot. 
Right. Well, I mean, there's a difference between a business decision and the, I mean, I understand that. It's just, yeah, I'm laughing the whole way because a podcast, I'm, this is not an advertisement for my other podcast, but my other, the one that I do is called the bottom rack. And that's what I do is I go to Walmart or right now digitally, you know, I'll go to Amazon and I'll just mm-hmm. pick a film that you would find on the bottom rack. I prefer them because for every dud you find, whenever you do find a good one, you'll find a really good one. But my yeah. criteria with these films, because I used to be Mr. Snarky Edge Lord, and I'd take a dump all over something if I didn't appreciate it. And as you know, to go, well, now I just try to find something I enjoy. I just, let me, let me find something to like life is too short and I'm tired of being mad. Let me find yeah. something to enjoy and then move on. So anyway, my biggest criteria with my podcast is, is the movie enjoyable and I'm really easy to please. So, I mean, it, it's real simple. Ninjas, monsters, robots, stuff like lasers and shit. I mean, <laughs> but my main thing is that box art better match the film. That is my biggest yeah. criteria of everything yeah. is I always, that box art makes a promise. So let's see if this film lives up to that promise. I have been burned too much as a little kid between uh, direct-to-video VHS films and mom-and-pop stores and Nintendo games. So don't you pull that crap on me now that I'm an adult. <laughs> well, and it you know, sucks I mean, because but... your artwork is badass on demons. I, it's on my yeah. watch list. Whenever you mentioned it, I pulled it up on Amazon. I'm like, oh, shit, it's on my watch list anyway because of the cover. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, please do watch it anyway. I uh, will. Because, <laughs> because there are monsters and demons. They just don't look like that. So, I mean, it, it's like I, it's so hard because I feel the same way. But I feel like, you know, I'm the artist, I'm the creative, I'm the sensitive, you know, that wants the box art to convey my vision, what the, you know, of what the movie is. And Keith is looking at dollars and cents. Uncorked okay. is looking at, they're looking at the bottom line. Right. And, and, and Redbox is looking at, somebody's got to look at that box and in, you know, 10 seconds go, that's a movie I want to watch. And, and, and Keith said, so that means two things, either there's a there's a mo- something disgusting or a monster or something that is going to grab their attention on the cover or Tom Cruise's face you know yeah. consumes the whole thing. You're right. Or whoever, Rob Reiner had a be. Rob Reiner had a great line in Throw Mama from the Train whenever Billy Crystal goes to him and uh, you know he's talking about where where's that novel you've been working on for ten years you've been working on a novel it's like it's well I've I've got it what is it? the night was. Do you want to be a writer or do you want to be an artist? If you want to be an yep. artist, go to Mexico or whatever. But me, I want to make money. So write. Here, my favorite yep. fuchsia. <laughs> it just, yeah. It's true. Right. Yeah. But you need that. You're the artist and you need somebody with a little business acumen. And apparently, like, hey, say what anybody wants to say. Uncork knows what they're doing. Go to Walmart. Pop the back of that DVD and take a look and tell me what you see. Because I've got my son looking at them now too because i'll tell them it's like see how many uncorked are on there see if you can find one from uncorked and uh mm-hmm. because like i said the past few movies i've been getting from y'all from that company i've been digging and yeah. so that just matter of fact get tell that dude i want to talk to him get him on the horn <laughs> with me for a podcast like he seriously would, i'm sure he would do it i'm sure he would do it i will oh, absolutely hell. tell him that yeah, that's going to be great. So, I mean, so it's been a great, because it sounds like, I mean, you've got nothing but good to say about them. So, I mean, I really just, yeah. your cover art for the dinner party, I mean, it does not look like an uncorked film anyway. So, I mean, that's, apparently they give creative license to whatever, because that's just a really cool ass box art. It is different because it, 
it doesn't look like your standard chick being dragged away monster in the background cover it actually looks like something that's more cerebral but then again but y'all listen now because it gets even better because it's even (laughs) more than just cerebral i just ultimately i'm a fan i i really did dig this film that's why i wanted to talk to you about it just kind of pick your brain on it because well one of the things i said to keith on the box art for uh for dinner party was uh, two rules keith and we've we've watched this is our fourth movie together so we kind of have a rapport at this point i said two rules uh no monsters on this cover period and everything that is represented every human being represented on this cover is actually in the movie they're a real actor who was in the movie because i'm sure you've seen on the bottom rung at walmart sometimes there are things on those boxes that you're just like who is this person and where <laughs> where are they in the movie that's what, what gave, does, that's what gave you my idea for my podcast <laughs> right? like like when does this happen in the movie so uh, with this movie i was adamant that like no we're not I, we don't need to we don't need to aggrandize this. I don't want people that never appear in the movie showing up on this box. I don't want any creatures or anything like that. I want it to be truly representative in mood and tone of what the film is. And I think, you know, he did a great job creating that, commissioning that, making that happen. Absolutely. So uh, we actually had uh, the brain trust behind The Wretched for IFC on a couple episodes back, and they said... <laughs> A lot of the similar things that you said about Uncourt in that they're very focused on letting the filmmaker fulfill his vision. And I was curious as to if you think that this is sort of a new resurgent thing, sort of like this new, this resurgence of auteur theory, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Man, that's a great question. And I think, I think it may be, uh, I remember when I was first getting started 2013 again we shot the historian my first film and and trying to get distribution for that and um you know talking to some pretty major companies at the time who whose pitches were effectively what i described to daniel earlier you know we're going to take your movie and you're going to be out and um and that is just not the experience i've had with uncorked at all so i'm I mean, my experience is a bit one-dimensional. We had, with The Historian, we originally signed a a deal with a a now-defunct company called Devolver um, that was run by Andy Grace, who was... uh, they were primarily a gaming company who was who was trying to get into independent films and oh, uh, that, Devolver Digital are still yeah. around as far as gaming goes. Well, they do yeah. they do games, but I, they but they they've called movies now, so they're not doing movies anymore. So we actually uh, re-released that first film with Keith and Uncorked. But I do think that um, I do think there is a move toward giving filmmakers more autonomy in the the what we call PNA, right? The promotion and advertising portion of the of this thing. You know what what is this film? You know that that is the brainstorming of what is the film, what is the vision of the film, how do we want to market the film, what is the audience that this film is going to appeal to, um, and and that has really been my experience with Keith. And I, and I think it has coincided with a, a move, uh, a, a, some movement in the horror genre. You know, we talk about post-horror. I don't know what that means exactly. I, I don't mean, like I that can't... term. <laughs> I, don't, I, but, I don't know what post-anything means to me. Like, that sounds... implies that it's over. And it's right. Like, no, it's not. But, but I mean, if you're, if you're putting films like uh, the Jordan Peele films, right, like Get Out and Us and 
maybe Quiet Place and, I don't know, Bird Box. And there are all these films, you know, they put into that category. But one thing that those films have in common is they're real, they're really auteur-driven kind of films, right? They're, they're sort of the vision of a single uh, actor, a, a single filmmaker who's, who's sort of mustering his or her creative abilities, and, and that's what you get. Um, and, and, and as we know, those films have all been very successful. Uh, those films have all found an audience. And so I, m- maybe we are moving back in that direction. I sure hope so, because all of the films that I, um, well, at, at least in, in, in large part, I mean, you, you cannot say that The Exorcist and, the, and Rosemary's Baby are not the products of a very specific controlled vision. Right. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. we, William Friedkin, who's, you know, was a madman, but, you know, he every theater, I think The Exorcist originally debuted in 20 or 30 cities or something like that. And and according to lore, Friedman had to go and sit down and start watching the movie in every single one of those theaters to make sure the projection and the sound was right. So the, those were, were auteur horror movies. Those 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 great horror staples of the 1970s. Maybe we are returning to that. I sure hope so, because, I mean, surely we've had enough just mass market schlock that appeals to the lowest common denominator kind of viewer. Um, And now now we're getting stuff that has a little more social heft and that's a little more thought provoking while maintaining you know, that being entertaining, be, taking you on the journey, all those things that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think the, you know, the wretched is, uh, uh, I mean, whoever thought of, you know, throwing that thing in some drive-ins right when we were all shutting down from COVID. Wow. That was really, uh, that was really brilliant and forward thinking. <laughs> Kismet. Yeah. Even. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because by the time we were talking to drive-ins for the dinner party, all the drive-ins had realized, hey, we're the only game in town. We can charge a shit ton to, you know, have you screen at our drive-in. Um, like, literally more than I have paid to four-wall a movie in New York City and Soho. Or, yeah, I mean, it was like crazy, crazy oh, money wow. that, wow. that we, were getting, we were getting quoted from drive-ins. Um, but look, anytime I see an indie film make good, I, I'm, I'm all for it. And, and what they did with that movie was just, that was, that was ingenious. They were ahead of the curve. And that's oftentimes what it takes. It, it takes somebody who's bold and forward-thinking and it's like, oh, well, we're all, all of our you know, four-wall movie theaters are shut down. Let's, let's give drive-ins a shot. So I think they started at Mission Tiki Drive-In outside of Los Angeles. And um, you know, they did a socially distant event there. And the, you know, the thing really took off. And it was 10 cities, 15 cities, whatever, 20 cities. And pretty soon they were the highest grossing theatrical release in the country uh, with the limited theatrical you know, venues that were available. So, man, kudos to them. Yeah, yeah. sometimes it's not what you know. Actually, it's never what you know, it's who you know. (laughs) And being at the right place at the right time, that's it. (laughs) 100%. So uh, what else you got coming up? Sell us something. What you got going on? Well, I got two projects in the pipeline. One that I can't even believe I've started talking about because this never would have been on my radar before this movie. But um, we have gotten such positives and such praise for the dinner party and a lot of questions about a potential sequel. So, um, so we are, we are developing that script right now and, oh, yeah. um, and, uh, and I'm really excited about it. He's, you know, every once in a while we get, we get somebody say, man, I wish I knew 
more about the mythology of this world than some of these characters tiptoe around spoilers. Um, so the sequel would give us the opportunity to play with that and explore that even further and uh, and and even more macabre cults whatever whatever uh so uh so so we're we're, we're developing that script now we we um we have another script that we we had initially planned to shoot over the summer but um covid uh, ha, has prevented that right. uh and, and we're sort of targeting the end of the year um it's uh the working title of that script is is demigod and it's loosely based on the kernunos myth nice uh, yeah, and it takes place in the Black Forest in Germany, and it's a lot of a lot of interesting stuff. You know, it's got some elements of like Macbeth and all kinds of stuff. I don't want to give too much away, but so we're gonna try to get that one shot by the by the end of the year or very early next year, and then um, and then zero in on the sequel to the Dinner Party. Very well, hell yeah, you got <laughs> got a nice full plate, nice full menu things going on. I like it. So uh, when you're not rambunctious and doing all your script writing and stuff where could people find you if they wanted to ask you about the dinner party or harangue yes. you with things <laughs> uh yes harangue away i am on uh instagram and twitter at at miles underscore doliac and you know i do i i do really welcome you know if you want to direct message me and and ask me about the film what please you know Feel free to do so. I, I, I sometimes I get busy and can't always respond immediately. But I, I, the fact that you're watching my movie and you care enough to ask me a question about it means a great deal to me, and I will try very, very hard to answer that question. I would only say if you watched my movie and you liked it even a little bit, uh, go on one of these sites: IMDb, Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, whatever. Leave a user review because the haters will leave user reviews. They do not hesitate. They delight in it. They relish in it. So, and not enough people who like your movie go on and. But even even I mean, the dinner parties maybe even changing that trend because I'm seeing a lot of user reviews on IMDb people say nice things about the movie. So uh, I wouldn't even pay attention. Just, and that's what I tell people: just watch the effing thing. And if you don't well, have, you have it's to, like grandmama yeah. said, if you can't say nothing nice, don't say nothing at all. I Man, mean, I seriously. wish more people, I, Daniel, I wish more people agree with you. The, the, the <laughs> fact of the matter is you're 100% right. And they're, you know, the, I don't know what these, how, why these people get off on trashing people's art. And they're meaner to indie films than they are to studio films for some reason. I don't, unless you're the last Jedi, maybe. But, um, <laughs> but, yeah, nice one. but, but the the thing is, indie films are so dependent on word of mouth among like the average movie watch. The person who is going to just find your film on cable VOD or on Amazon or whatever and be like, huh, this looks cool. Watch it. Leave a review. Tell four or five of their friends, hey, I watched this film, The Dinner Party, the other night. It's really cool. You should check it out. That is the snowball that makes indie films work. And yeah, Especially if it's a good film. And you're right. right. It absolutely is. But I mean, without it, John Carpenter. Okay. I mean, if you don't have indie film, then you don't have John Carpenter. Right. So, I mean, we all, we all got to start somewhere. And like I said, I mean, Hey, don't pay attention to any reviews. Don't even read them. It doesn't freaking matter. You made the movie, you know, it's like, I'm sorry. I can't hear you over this movie that I made. You know, <laughs> most, of, most of these asshats don't even have a movie to their own. They don't have any creative venue to their own, and that's why they sit there and lash out on review sites online thinking that people are actually going to read it and care. <laughs> and they don't. Every, you're, 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 you are totally correct. And, and here's the thing for me. I truly, deeply want to get better. And every once in a while, 
you'll read something in a review, even a user review. This is fewer and further between than, you know, sort of like people who actually spend time watching a lot of movies and thinking about film history and, and context and all that kind of stuff. It's every insufferable. While, <laughs> yeah. Every once in a while, you will read something in a review, either by a serious critic or a user, that you go, huh, that makes a lot of sense. I didn't think about it. I might do that differently on the next one. And if, if that happens to me once, twice, three times in the next six months of, of, of looking at responses to the dinner party, my next film will be that much better. And yes, I've made five feature films, and many of these people have made zero, but that doesn't matter. If you're going to do something, you need to keep trying to improve, in my opinion. And this business, you got to have rhinoceros hide to survive in this business, no question about it. But you also need to keep pushing yourself to get better. And if one of those reviews has some little kernel of something that's going to make me a better filmmaker, even if it's critical, I say bring it. That's why that's I read right. reviews. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I couldn't have said it better. Well, Jason, anything you need to add to it? We've kept Mr. Doliak on here far too long. Yeah, no, we're coming up on almost an hour and a half. So well, I'm look, good. you got... <laughs> I'm from old school. I currently, I mean, I do all kinds of music and I have a cassette tape label that has comedically brought in more income in the past year than I have ever made for the previous 19 making music. I say that to say that as a part of the old tape trading budding scene for underground black and death metal back in the day, look, y'all go, you can, you can rent the film, The Dinner Party on Amazon Prime. You can rent it for $3.99. You can buy it for $3.99. Hell, go to Walmart, buy the damn thing, and just take it and pass it around to your friends. And start. Let's start an uncourt. Let's start an asylum. Let's start a wild-eye tape-trading underground movie circuit. I, I say we go ahead and do that, and I'll be the first damn one. If anybody wants it, I'll go buy a dinner party, and we'll just start passing it around. But seriously, go and check it out. It's on Amazon Prime. Rent it, enjoy. It's cool. I mean, there's throughout this, if you're still here, hey, wake up. If you're still here <laughs> and anything that we have said throughout here has piqued your interest, kind of intrigued you a little bit from statues and occult, Judeo Christian mythos, Satanism, blood, guts, gore, practical effects, <laughs> you're going to opera, <laughs> you're going to like something in here. Trust me, it is totally worth it. So, Miles Doliak. Daniel, thank you for having me. <laughs> I was waiting on it. Thank you so and, uh, much for showing up, hey, man. Hey, it's my pleasure. And, and let your fans or, or your fans. listeners. <laughs> yeah, I have two of them. They're on high <laughs> in the other room so I can hear you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, let them know that it's also on iTunes, Google Play, Fandango Now, Voodoo, you know, whatever, DirecTV, all that crap. Um, and and But you know what? If you're a physical media person, person i'm a physical media person you can get a dvd or a blu-ray that contains really cool special features including a behind the scenes featurette that's like a behind the scenes doc it's like 10 minutes long it has an interview with the actors shout out to my buddy travis yeah. mills for making that happen um buy, buy the blu-ray buy the DVD. go on amazon right now buy yourself a blu-ray dvd and, and you or you could do it daniel and like you say just pass it around in, in, either way is fine with me that's it but look, you don't hang up because I'm going to pick your brain a little bit further. But for everybody else, y'all can hang up because it's been Miles Doliak. It's been my friend Jason, and I've been Daniel. And this has been Monsters, Madness, and Magic. So y'all have fun.